0: You're listening to the Lost Mountain Podcast. Lost Mountain exists to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. Today's message is from the series, The Compelling Community. We hope today's message encourages you towards a deeper relationship with Christ. If you have any questions from today's message, email us at info at lmbc.us. Link is in the show notes. So midweek kicks off again uh, this coming Wednesday, with dinner starting at 5:30, and then programming at 6:30. LM students will be back on campus. Team Kid um, for kiddos, and then we'll have two LM Institute classes we're offering uh, this spring. One is uh, the Gospel Story. Gospel Story. If you haven't been through that yet, I really encourage you to sign up for that. You can um, do that online. You can do it on the app. You can. Uh, screen that QR code on the screen and do it. Uh, But that, that will help you put together the single narrative, the single story that runs throughout Scripture from Genesis to the end of Revelation and be able to connect the great movements of God uh, both with God's heart and with the overall story of Scripture. Jake will be teaching uh, that one, and I will be teaching an intro to church history. Intro to church history. Uh, many of you have been through the three core classes for LM Institute, um, but even if you haven't, certainly you're welcome to sign up for um, Intro to Church History. It's going to be a fascinating look um, at all that God has done in spite of. Uh, Many of the major players throughout the history of the church. And I think it's going to be uh, exciting, interesting, affirming, and bizarre at times uh, for you to get to know the great events and uh, people God's used throughout our history. So if you want to be a part of that, again, sign up. We'll be kicking those off on Wednesday and look forward to seeing you there. Just one other thing I think I'll say at this point, remind you, Greater Impact Special Offering is still running um, you guys have given 26000 so far toward our goal of $40,000. you have got a couple of weeks left, so I really encourage you, if you haven't given yet, go ahead and give. Go ahead and give. This is a, a one-time annual uh, offering that we put out for sacrificial giving, right? Not to impact what you give regularly for the ministry and mission of the church, but to prayerfully, thoughtfully Give something over and above the most that you feel comfortable doing or maybe uncomfortable doing uh, toward God's work around our country, around the world. Um, and some through our church this next year. You can find the details about that if you need to know more. Most of you should have gotten packets in the mail uh, a long time ago, but you can find more. We gauge sort of the effectiveness and success of this each year, and so far we've, we've uh, exceeded our goal each year with this. But we gauge it two ways. One, do we, do we meet our goal financially? And then two, what percent of covenant members and regular attenders give? that's significant because it, it is a snapshot into the heart of our church. Um, sacrificial giving just defines serious Christ followers and always has. So it gives us a picture there uh, to see where we are in the health of our church. So I encourage you uh, to be engaged and be a part of that. Um, this morning, a uh, week two in our series, The Compelling Community. The Compelling Community, where we're seeking to answer Um, and look at the questions around what it is that God has in mind that God intends to do in and through the local church. The church, as much as we've tried to pretend like it isn't for uh, the last 20 years or so, is God's idea. It It is Christ's design. It's the way that God manifests His wisdom and His glory. It's the vehicle that carries the gospel and the name of Christ in the world. But some of us, I think, would um, have some sympathy for one of John Updike's characters in a novel who said this, in general, the churches bore for me the same relation to God that billboards did to Coca-Cola. They promoted thirst without quenching it. They promoted thirst without quenching it. And, and In other words, they, they promised something and they, they gave me a hunger for something that they couldn't then deliver. And I think if you and I are honest, we have been through times and seasons in our lives and we have been in particular churches where that seemed to be the case. That seemed to be the case. We couldn't figure out what all this was about and why God hadn't come up with a somewhat more effective means for doing what he's doing. Scott McKnight in a book called A Fellowship of Difference, D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-T-S, different kinds of people, says this. This won't be on the screen, so just uh, listen. It is in the app, though, if you've got the notes section uh, open in the app. The reality is that each of our churches has created a Christian culture and Christian like, life for the likes and sames and similarities and identicals. Instead of powering God's grand social experiment we've cut up God's plan into segregated groups with the incredibly aggravating and God dishonoring result that most of us are invisible to one another. Most of us are invisible to one another. Most of us, uh, if we really think about our relationships, uh, often even in the church, they are relationships that could be defined easily without the church or without the Spirit of God. There are relationships with people who uh, fairly look like us, they usually vote like us, they're usually in our season of life. And again, if that can, if that can be defined and understood by the world looking in, without anything of God or His Spirit, there is something wrong. So what I want us to do is take a a look this morning at, at some of what characterizes biblical community, the kind of church the kind of church that God is after. If you've got your Bibles with you, or maybe you've got your app open or the Bible open on one of your devices, I want to start out just by reading the Great Commission, reading the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. This is what will ground us. We'll come back to it in just a few minutes, but this will serve as a kind of home base um, for what we're talking about this morning. Before we start this, while you guys are turning, let me just do this and don't be afraid to be involved and engaged in worship. How many of you would say that you have ever at one time or another been disappointed in or by or with the church? Just look, keep them up and look around. We're in good company. Put them down, yeah. That happens because the church is made up of human beings, right? And you've been disappointed in other people and other people would have raised their hands because they've been disappointed uh, by you at times. And often we don't even know it. But I will tell you this, the local church is, humanly speaking, still God's hope for the world. It is still God's chosen vessel. You as his people gathered in worship and ministry, carrying out mission together still constitute God's primary chosen vehicle for bringing his kingdom to this earth. Let's look at the Great Commission, verses 16 through 20 in Matthew chapter 28. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. I always want to throw this in here when I read this because it struck me a few years ago and is always so pervasive in my mind when I'm reading it. Can you imagine if one of the disciples would have been like, I don't know, it's a three-day weekend. I think I'm going to hold it. You guys just tell me what he says when you get back. What they would have missed. If they'd been American disciples, I don't know, school's out on Friday. We're going to go to the beach. It's not that there's not a time for that, but the ease with which we Miss worship today says a lot about what we truly believe. So they go to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, right? Jesus had, had commanded them to go. He had done more than invite them. So they go, verse 17. When they saw him, now what happens? They go to the mountain where Jesus said to go. And who meets them there? Jesus. Jesus meets them there. They worshiped him. They worshiped Him. That is always the default, first, fullest, and finest response in the presence of Jesus is to worship Him if you're His disciple. But some doubted. Can we just acknowledge that there can be a mixture of sincere worship and sincere doubt? If you've ever wrestled with that, I'm here to tell you this morning, you can sincerely, passionately worship Jesus and still struggle with some doubt. They worshiped him. Some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. This is important when you're talking about the authority of Scripture. The authority of Scripture is the delegated Scripture of Jesus, or the delegated authority of Jesus In Scripture, God the Father has given all authority to the Son. All authority to the Son. And Jesus, in His goodness, has that authority formatted in a way that human beings can read and receive and understand the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth. Has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. All right, you can kind of uh, set that aside or hold your thumb there if you want to. We'll come back to it in a, a few minutes. But the The commission here that Jesus gives, there's a reason the church has understood this as our commission, not just His commission to the 11 disciples. They would not have nearly, they would not have had nearly enough time in their life. They don't, they didn't travel like we do uh, to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. But we're sitting here, right? We're sitting here. And it's important that you understand that to uh, a first century Jew, 80, 30s or 40s, listening to Jesus, we are the ends of the earth, Right? The first century Jew in Palestine, Georgia in North America, is the ends of the earth. The gospel has gone out just as Jesus decreed it would be. But what role does the biblical community, we have understood evangelism and God's mission primarily the way that we understand everything in our culture, individualistically, individualistically, but I don't think that's God's intent. So uh, let's, let's define biblical community a little bit and see what it does. One, or first, I guess, biblical community is community created by God. Created by God. It cannot be understood. It cannot be defined. It can't be described except, but by God. Except by understanding what God does in the lives of men and women, uniting them to one another in Christ call your attention to Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28. Paul's writing to the church in the region of Galatia, and he says, so in Christ, in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. You're a child of God through faith. I'm a child of God through faith. The person sitting next to you on your right or left, if he or she is a believer, is a child of God through faith because they are in Christ. For all of you, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Notice, even though we talk about the symbolic nature of baptism, right? We say over and over and over um, that baptism does not save you. Yet, I think sometimes we we actually diminish the theological significance of baptism. Look what the Apostle Paul says here. He says, if we've been baptized into Christ, we have clothed ourselves with Christ. There's theological significance to the public profession of Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior through baptism as the church is acknowledging. Do you understand the church's role in that? When we do baptism, we're saying to that person, we believe and affirm that you are indeed by God's grace through faith. Now, one of us, sinner and saint, made right with God through the blood of Jesus. Baptism is an incredibly serious thing. It's a theological thing. It is something that requires thought. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor slave. I'm sorry, Jew, nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying to the believers in Galatians, God is saying to us this morning, is that believers are united to one another in a way that is inseparable by God. We have been created as a family by God. And that family is most visible and most clearly understood and most consistently referenced in the New Testament by references to the local church. We, we are a visible, breathing, moving, interactive manifestation of the family of God created by God. So again, if... What we're a part of, if what we're doing can be defined by other interests, other centralities, other affinities, other than God, it is not biblical community. It doesn't mean that we don't share affinities. It doesn't mean that we don't gain some things from being around people like us. It just means we're going to naturally do that anyway. Which leads me to the second thing that characterizes biblical community. Biblical community is marked by supernatural love marked by supernatural love. Now, I wanna be careful with that word supernatural because it can get weird. But when I say supernatural love, I am simply talking about a kind of God-given love that cannot be explained or displayed by the natural order of things alone. It's more than that. It's more than that. I'll call your attention back to verses we covered last week, John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus speaking now. Um, I'll be a bit brief here because we covered it uh, a little bit longer last week. But Jesus says to his gathered disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. Now, you can see like the, the, the really interested, passionate disciples sitting around, right? They've got their, they've got their tablet out or their... Um, macbook pro or maybe their um, ipad and they've got their little writing gadget like david conley has and they're taking notes and he says a new command i give to you and they're like ready number one love one another got it two no that's it love one another well that's not very much one point messages are not impressive he says as he fleshes it out as i have loved you So you must love one another. It's a different kind of love, isn't it? How has Jesus loved you all the way to death? He's loved you before himself. He's loved you sacrificially. He's loved you in a way that puts your needs before his. That's why Paul can confidently write that the nature of Christian community is one in which we eagerly and joyfully consider one another better than ourselves. What's Paul doing? Paul's just looking at the, the example of Jesus and saying, This is how Jesus people live. And then Jesus said, It's actually by this. It's by this that everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. Listen, friends, our, our community doesn't need one more church with a fall festival or trunk or treat, but, but it does need more communities of men and women who love one another passionately and trust God to be adding to their numbers as they're faithfully living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that when people can come in, they say, I don't understand what I see. And I know I don't experience it anywhere else. Maybe I never even experienced it in my family. I definitely don't at work, but I'm intrigued and I want want to know more. this, this issue of loving one another supernaturally, how many of you would also say, let's give you an opportunity to answer affirmatively, I hope some of you. How many of you would say, you've known at least one brother or sister in Christ in the church who loved like this? They were an example of this kind of sacrificial, um, life-giving away love. Yeah, yeah. And so it raises an important question. If, if this is what Jesus says defines us to the world, right? This is what distinctly tells the world we belong to him, the way that we love each other, the depth and breadth of that, which we'll talk more about in coming weeks. Why don't all Christians display this supernatural love? If this is at the heart, right? This is not something you add on or you don't. This is at the center of what it means to be a believer. Why don't all Christians display this kind of supernatural love? Well, for a few statements about that. I, I, want to, I want to take you to Luke chapter 7. There is a, a fascinating encounter Jesus has in Luke chapter 7 that many of you uh, will be familiar with, but I think, I think we've understood it wrongly at times. Jesus has been invited to have dinner uh, at a Pharisee's house, one of the, the lay elites, religious elites of the day. And they're at the table and a woman who's previously been living a sinful life and is known for that, realizes she she hears on the street that Jesus is there and she comes in and if you'll remember, she comes with an expensive jar of perfume, right? This This is not your regular Walmart perfume that you get in a big gift box for people you don't like at Christmas. You know, like the cousins that you don't really care about. Like, let's get him a box of Stetson and Lady Stetson. (laughs) Give that to him in a box of nuts. Um, She comes in with an expensive, rare. I'm sorry if some of you did that. (laughs) Or worse if you received that. Now you know. Now you know. Um, She stands behind Jesus. She's weeping. She begins to wet his feet with her tears. She's wiping her feet with her hair. She kisses him and she pours the perfume out this incredible gesture. And the Pharisee who's invited in there, he's a little indignant at this. Both at the woman, at the Jesus. This is not proper decorum. This is not how one acts in a spiritual setting. Jesus answers him. What's funny is Jesus answers what he's thinking. God help me. Right? I I would prefer Jesus wait until I ask so that I could sort of organize. But Jesus just answers what he's thinking. And in verse 40, he says, Simon, I've got something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he says. Two people owed money in a certain, to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? I want you to begin seeing the connection that Jesus is doing as he draws down the relationship between forgiveness and love. Simon replied, I suppose. He's wanting to give himself a a little bit of wiggle room here. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. I think he sees probably that Jesus has walked him down a dead end street. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you, see, do you see this woman? Don't just read past that question. Simon didn't see that woman. He saw a shameful, dirty, irreligious, unclean sinner. He did not see the woman. Not like Jesus does. Do you see this woman? I came into your house and you didn't give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Don't miss this. Jesus is not saying because of the profound love she has shown me, her sins are forgiven. Church, no amount of works, however sincerely done and passionately exercised leads to our forgiveness. Rather, This woman's passionate, sacrificial, generous, sincere love poured out on Jesus is an acknowledgement of the forgiveness she has already received. And if you pay attention to the language here, it's clear. But we often don't do that. At some point, she'd already encountered the loving power of the grace driven gospel, and she'd been forgiven. And that forgiveness fueled her to go back to the one who'd given it to her this way. Great New Testament scholar who has recently passed away, G.B. Card said, her love, this woman's love, was not on the ground of a pardon she'd come to seek, but the proof of a pardon she had come to acknowledge. People who understand the depth and the breadth of what they have been forgiven are people who love much. They love Jesus much. They love other brothers and sisters much because in the echo of their mind always is there, there, but for God's grace am I. It wasn't this woman coming in actively loving Jesus to receive forgiveness. It was this woman coming in, responding to a forgiveness that she's aware of, returning to Jesus in love. I submit to you, I want you to think of this. I want you to think of someone that you've encountered, a brother or sister in Christ across the years, whatever church you may have been a part of, who simply was not very loving, right? Maybe their default sort of um, personality or character trait was, was grumpiness, anger, frustration. I submit to you that that is a person who has not quite fully understood. It's not that they maybe. It's not that they haven't been fully forgiven. It's that they don't have a full understanding of their forgiveness. Biblical community marked by supernatural love is nothing more than a community that is fueled by supernatural forgiveness. Forgiveness that has no explanation, but for the goodness of our God. Now, then, in light of these things, biblical community is then the power for evangelism and the process for discipleship. The power for evangelism and the process for discipleship. Let me break this down a bit for so you can see why we together are God's primary choice for fulfilling the Great Commission. Not you as a group of individuals going out and individually trying to fulfill it. We together, when you pay attention to the Great Commission, you realize that it is corporate language. Obviously, Jesus is calling a group to Him. And He's saying the Father has given Him all authority. And He tells them together to go out and make disciples as they're going through life of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, we know that baptism is an ordinance God has given the church it's a clear picture of community engagement. Not just that, but teach them to obey everything they've been, connect, uh, they've been commanded. Baptize as you're evangelizing and God sees so fit to save some. And teach everything. Disciple. Now, I don't, we don't have time to go all, through all the verses, but I'll say them. Um, and you can go back and listen and look if you want to, but there's a curious pattern in the Book of Acts that uh, New Testament scholars often note. Uh, initially, initially, when you begin reading about Acts following Pentecost, the gospel goes out initially to places accompanied by miraculous signs, and you will see this pair continually. The gospels preached; there's miraculous signs. People believe. You see it in Jerusalem in Acts 2, Samaria, Acts 8, Lydda and Joppa, Acts 9, Cyprus, Acts 13, Iconium, Acts 14. I could keep going. And yet, when those places are revisited in Acts, when Luke comes back to those different locations in his writings after the churches have been planted, the reports of the miraculous signs stop. They stop, and Luke instead, in those same places, limits his writings to to two topics. The further preaching of the gospel and the strengthening of those local churches. The further preaching of the gospel and the strengthening of the local churches. One explanation for this, as scholars wrestle with this, and I think this is the right one, is that the miraculous signs, pay attention here, the miraculous signs were a temporary means of confirming the truth of the gospel in those communities until the permanent means of miraculous confirmation was in place, the local church. And then the confirming evidence for the truth of the gospel becomes the relationship that God's people have to one another. That's why again, Paul can say in Ephesians 3.10 that not only to the world, but to the heavenly hosts, God has, has made his manifold wisdom clear. He's displayed it to the powers and authorities in heaven through the local church that even heavenly beings look down at the local church and say, how do they, across all these different human barriers and human lines, love one another and forgive and give together and laugh and pray and forgive and encourage one another? Now, don't hear me say, I don't believe miraculous signs never happen now. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm doing is drawing attention to what we see in Acts and what is the normative way in which a church evangelizes people. It is through our life together, both in word and in deed, that men and women, by the grace and sovereign will of God, are swept up into His redeeming purposes. Leslie Newbegin puts it this way in his uh, great book, The gospel in a pluralist society, he says, how can this strange story of God made flesh, of a crucified Savior, of resurrection and new creation, become credible for those whose entire mental training has conditioned them to believe that the real world is the world which can be satisfactorily explained and managed without the hypothesis of God. Let me tell you something before I finish this quote. You and I live in a unique time in human history. It has been been on this side of the enlightenment and the renaissance, Renaissance, the the age of industry and widespread education that we have come to believe this, that the world can be satisfactorily explained and managed without the hypothesis of God. All human generations... Before the last three or four hundred years, understood that they lived at the mercy of forces and realities that they could not control. They understood that things can't simply be explained by human reason. Neupenen goes on as he says, how, "How can we make this strange gospel story? How can we give it flesh? How can we make it understandable?" He says, "I know of only one clue." to the answering of that question. Only one real hermeneutic or or interpretive lens of the gospel, a congregation which believes it. A congregation which believes it. And then he gives a challenge later in that paragraph. Live in the kingdom of God in such a way that it provokes questions for which the gospel is the answer. That's, That's it. That's the heart of that. If someone says, man, why are you guys like that? You say, well, we're kind of all in the same season of life. That's not a win, right? Why are you guys like that? Ah, we all see the uh, the things politically the same way, so it's easier for us to, to be friends. That's not a win. Why are you all like that? Well, we're all proud gerbil owners. So we get together and we compare the colors, the ages, the claw marks, favorite foods, what we've taught them. If it can be explained, humanly speaking, it is not biblical community. You with me? Biblical community can only be explained through the power and the truth of the gospel. That's true for evangelism. It can only be accomplished that way. It's true for discipleship. Many of you will be familiar with Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, Paul acknowledges that God gives the church certain leaders, and then he kind of fleshes out what happens in verses 11 through 16 as these leaders do what they've been called to do. Ephesians 4, 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people. The, the church is the point, not the leaders. The church to equip his people for works of service so that the body may be built up. Don't, don't miss this. The, the, the leaders and the teachers and the preachers are given to equip the church to do the ministry that God has put in place for the church to do. And when that starts happening, the church itself, the body of Christ, is built up. That's what discipleship looks like until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Man, Paul could say a lot in a little bite sometimes, couldn't he? Then, then, Paul writes, then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every kind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Notice that, that the catalyst for us not being blown around, man, if we've ever lived a time, uh, through a time when the church has been blown all around trying to figure out what is true and what is not true and what do we believe and what do we not believe? It's been the last five or 10 years. It's been the last, the church has seemed as schizophrenic as our society has in many places and at many times. Paul says it's actually as the people of God are ministering and serving one another in in the grace of God that the church is built up and attains a measure of maturity and then is no longer blown about. Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. Biblical community is at the center of both the, the evangelical challenge that Jesus gives in the Great Commission um, and of the discipleship challenge that Jesus gives us. Uh, one of the things that's interesting, Hebrews 10.25 is often quoted, but not often uh, so much are the verses before it. So Hebrews 10.23 Says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. A a picture of that is like somebody holding on to a rope, and if they let go, they fall to their death. You'll find you're able to hold on longer than you imagined you could. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For now, listen to this for he who promised is faithful, not for we feel hopeful not for we feel this way or that way. We hold on to hope because the one in whom our hope is placed is faithful. So if you're waiting this morning in an area of life that's painful, if you've not received healing in an area that you've been praying for, if you wrestle with sin that you've long ago confessed and been transparent about and sought renewal, keep praying Continue to be patient and wait on the Lord for the one in whom you've placed your hope is faithful. 24, and let us consider how we can spur one another on toward loving good good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Now comes verse 25. As some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Part of what the writer of Hebrews is doing is saying, you cannot live out the Christian life if you abandon the habit of meeting together, you can't. Because the bulk of the Christian life, the bulk of what it means to be redeemed is on display in the New Testament as a series of one another's. We've got to be together. The local church is a family preparing for and inviting guests. That is what we are. That's why Paul can say to Timothy, In 1 Timothy 14 and 15, that's why he can call the church what he does. He says, although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church, God's household, the church, certain way that we are to conduct ourselves in our life together because of what God has done for us. Because of what God has done for us. Now look at this. In God's house, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Now, let me say this this morning. Our culture absolutely does not believe that the local church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. And I will tell you, there are not a few of you who are struggling with that too. Bringing what our culture says is true and right and good and just into your thinking and into your heart rather than trusting what God says that the church and the message we carry is actually the pillar and the foundation of truth. Now, let me give you briefly two guiding principles as we think about being and becoming more and more and more this kind of church created by God, marked by supernatural love for one another. A church that is the power for evangelism and our life together is actually the process for discipleship. Discipleship is never a program. It is always a process. It always involves the the scriptural truth of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the relational commitment, friendship, and connection of brothers and sisters in Christ. Two guiding principles. One, regeneration precedes Christian community. Regeneration, when I say that, I mean the new birth that God brings in the heart of a non-believer through the Holy Spirit precedes Christian community. Now, does that mean you, you can't be a part of the church if you're not a believer yet? Absolutely not. But it means that the, the, this is part of why membership matters so much. The membership of a church, however we want to acknowledge it, is period, a regenerate membership. It is a membership of men and women who are not living for ourselves primarily, but for God and His glory, who've been made new through faith by His grace and the work of the Holy Spirit. Mark Dever says that one sign, and this is startling, and I want you to think about it, one sign that many in your congregation are not regenerate And this is always the case. I think this is very stunning for a lot of young pastors. They come into a church with all kinds of ideals and visions and excitements. And then it's not many months in until they really begin to come to an awareness that many people that they call their own show no real signs of new life in Christ. And it can be quite disorienting. Dever says, one sign that many in your congregation are not regenerate is how hard you have to work to motivate them. You have to beg and plead and cajole and offer prizes and do all kinds of things because their hearts are not inclined to pursue Jesus passionately and fully and lay their lives down, say no to other things on a regular basis so that they might serve their brothers and sisters in Christ. I think Deborah's absolutely right. Absolutely. Now, that doesn't mean that you and I don't go through seasons where it's just a season to sit for us. And receive, but it does mean that the characteristic that should be most present is not that, but one of serving and engaged fully, engaging fully in the life of the church. Part of how we we get at this is not so much to focus on it, but to focus on the gospel and make sure the gospel is central to the preaching in our church. Make sure the gospel is central to the group life of our church. Make sure the gospel is central to the personal relationships and conversations in our church and also to be intentional, and this matters, and sometimes this comes across harsh. I know it does, but to be intentional about avoiding the kind of community that will encourage nominal believers to continue living out that sort of nominalism, and also avoid the kind of community that affirms non-believers and sort of affirms to them that they're good with God because we don't draw any lines in a church. Regeneration precedes community, last one. Theology precedes Christian living. Theology precedes Christian living. What we believe matters, that's what we saw in Ephesians 4. That growing in the knowledge of God as we're taught through gospel-centered teachers, leads then to maturing in Christ, to matured living in Christ. There there is a, a unique marriage between doctrine, Christian doctrine, and Christian behavior. You can't separate them. Christian doctrine and Christian behavior go together. Again, a quote by Dever. He says, if someone is into theology and not into loving others... Because we've talked about this. You've all known people who knew 10 times more Bible than you, but were also 20 times more meaner than you. It's, I don't know if more meaner is right. 20 times meaner than you, especially if they didn't get their way. If they were getting their way, they were fine, but let them not get their way. And you say, I don't know that I wanna know any more Bible. But Never says, if someone is into theology and not into loving others, the problem isn't that they spent too much time learning about God. It's that they never took to heart what they learned. This is part of the the reason that we're kicking off the series we are next month called Glorious Design. Taking a a gospel-centered, faithful, biblical look um, at gender, marriage, and human sexuality. Everyone in our culture is discussing this all the time. And the church and individual church members, and you can think about where you are on this, tend to live at one extreme or the other. We just welcome whatever culture says in and says, well, that's sweet and that's kind and that's what we should do. Or we bury our heads in the sand and say, I'm sick to death of all this stuff. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want anything to do with it except to tell them they're all wrong because the Bible. That is not faithful living. Friends, that is not what it means to be a follower of Jesus in our day. Theology and Christian living go together. Right thinking and right doing are inevitably connected. This morning, I'll just say this. If you've never experienced that regeneration that the Holy Spirit brings, new life, where you know and can testify that God's Spirit now lives in you, that is the most important need you have. It's not your need to be seen. It's not your need to feel good about yourself. It's not your need uh, to live out at least one of your New Year's resolutions. Your greatest need is to come before God and to acknowledge, I am a sinner who needs to be forgiven not based on my merit or even based on my plea, but simply based on your goodness, God, and what your Son has done, which I fully confess extends to me. If that's you this morning, I hope you'll open your heart and respond to God's Spirit who is ever calling us out of darkness and into light. If you're already a regenerate, believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, I hope that you'll take seriously what it means to love one another, what it means to be intentional about getting to know members in your own church and regular attenders that are with us who who aren't a lot like you. There's a power in it for evangelism and discipleship that nothing else holds. Just a minute, I'm going to pray for us um, do this for me. We, we grab your connection card. should be around you, maybe in your Bible, in your program. Pull your connection card out. One of the unique things that we're going to offer because we know that this issue of, of gender identity and, and what is marriage and what isn't marriage and what is marriage supposed to do, and of all of that, the facets of human sexuality, we know it's a, it's a big deal right now. We know, I know, some of you are hurting through issues with this in your own family. We're going to offer uh, at least two, maybe more. We'll see on your response, but we're going to offer just for those four short weeks, uh, sermon-based discussion groups during the week, like we did last summer with Acts, where we can hear truth from God on Sunday and then meet together with some other brothers and sisters in Christ in homes through the week and talk about this. Talk about it. If you're interested in being part of that, you can officially sign up uh, online, on the app, but you can also just let us know, hey, you're interested in that, where we can kind of gauge the number just by writing groups anywhere on your connection card, front or back, just write the word groups. And all you're saying is, hey, I'm interested in having some sermon-based discussion groups through February where we can not just hear about God's glorious design for the human experience and, and human existence and how that relates specifically to gender identity, to marriage and to whatever the other one was, human sexuality. Just let us know, right? groups on the front or back of your connection card. I'm gonna pray for us. While I pray our offering ushers are gonna make their way to their positions, when I finish praying, They'll start passing those buckets you guys can drop in your connection cards, drop in your giving envelopes this morning. Let's let's pray. For more information about Lost Mountain, visit us at lnbc.us. Thank you for tuning in today.